0: Hey, it's Lee here. I just wanted to butt in before the podcast starts to let you know that Charles and I made a video essay on this very episode, season one, episode three, Soapy Sanderson. You can find it on our YouTube channel and we'll go ahead and put the link to that video in the episode description of this podcast. (laughs)
1: Right? Ah <laughs> oh, man, I love it. I love that piano, and it's played throughout the entire episode. Oh, this pivotal this song? Yeah. yeah, yeah. This
0: is what I like to call Maggie's theme. I'm sure, like if you if you like looked up like what it was called in like a Northern Exposure official soundtrack or something, it would come up as Soapy's theme. But. Um, Soapy, okay, spoilers. Soapy dies in this episode. Maggie does not die throughout the entire season or throughout the entire <laughs> well, series. Well, spoilers for me. Yeah. Well, trust me. She. Uh, you can guess. <laughs> I, you can guess. But um, no, yeah. I mean, so this is kind of Maggie's theme throughout the episode, as, uh, you, uh, as you mentioned.
1: Yeah, I love it. Um, it's such a simple melody, and it's reprie I, I think that's the word What's you that call that?
0: it. Like, muted triangle. Ding, 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 ding. So good. It's beautiful. Oh, it's so great. Beautiful melody. Um. We are, of course, talking about the third episode of Northern Exposure, season one. Uh, It's entitled Soapy Sanderson, and this is a Northern Overexposure podcast. Um, Our mission here is to expand the reach of the show. You know, we want to try to get as many people who haven't seen the show um, to see it. You know, we're kind of overanalyzing the show, overexposing the show to new audiences. My name's Lee. I'm always joined with my friend Charles here, who's new to the show.
1: Yeah, I'm completely new to the show. Lee has seen the show multiple times,
0: right? Or only once? Let's see. I've probably seen it four times, but I've oh, seen wow. f- I've seen like the first season um, more than that. And the last season, I've probably only seen once.
1: Oh, okay. So you've seen it. Okay. That's way more than I thought. So you've seen it multiple times. I've never seen it. So... Really, I'm looking at it with fresh eyes. Lee's going to give you guidance. We're going to try to dig and find some new stuff out of it, and hopefully we can get some new viewers into this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just love talking about Northern Exposure, but also kind of my favorite part is trying to get Charles's opinion. Charles is kind of like my go-to with uh, TV uh, series. He has really good recommendations, I find, and I was surprised to learn that he had never seen the show. Well, I mean, I guess I knew this the whole time because <laughs> when I was growing up in high school, Uh, We were friends in high school. I loved the show, and Charles probably saw maybe one episode. I always –
1: I think I've talked about this before, but the only thing I knew about Northern Exposure was the opening credit scene with that moose that walks around, and that was the only thing I knew about the television show. I didn't know the premise behind it or even that it was based in Alaska. I just saw that moose, and I just thought, like, I'm probably not that interested in this (laughs) television show. I'll come back in 10 years. Yeah. Well,
0: (laughs) we talked about the moose last episode and uh, how – it has yet to kind of make an appearance in the yes. show. In this episode, you see a stuffed moose in the brick. We do, yeah. as part of the documentary. So perhaps that's what happened to the moose and the, and the theme I song. Hope, the I hope not, thing. that's morbid. But I mean, we the do- the average lifespan of a moose. It's probably, it can't be that long. No, it's pretty long. Okay. So at least, I mean, have you seen a moose? But a moose trained in Hollywood probably has a much, a significant... Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got oh, his own sorry. trailer and everything. He's fantastic. He's well off. I think he can probably live for uh, hundreds of years. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but speaking of animals, opening shot, dogs, always dogs.
0: Yeah. So we start off with uh, Maggie O'Connell, our um, sort of a pilot lady, Uh she just drives her plane into the woods. Like there's a, there's a plane driving on the ground, like going through the woods. She pulls up on Soapy's cabin out in the woods. And uh, you know, another reason why I brought Charles on as my co-host is because this show has a lot of dogs. Charles loves dogs. Give me your like uh, sort of dog lover's opinion of this scene.
1: <laughs> well, those dogs are well cared for, but I don't think they're pet dogs. And, and I was right uh, based on my assumption, but they were, uh, I did a Rob
0: dogs? Yeah, like the, the racing, that's what that is, right? Like yeah, that Edderrod Edderrod. Racing?
1: yeah, they were used for racing, and he had a whole pack of Is that what them. Snow
0: Dogs is about, the movie Snow Dogs?
1: Uh, Yeah, is that, is that, who's the lead in that movie? Is that it's a Cuba Gooding Jr. or now? I thought it was Eddie Murphy. Yo. Oh, we are terrible at this, but yeah, um, that's what those dogs are for, and that's why they're just living out there in the kennel and not inside a nice comfy home right it, there.
0: It is Cuba Gooding. But, uh, oh, it is Cuba Gooding. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, I, I haven't seen the sh- I haven't seen the movie so have you? I saw it once and it was at a
1: penny theater one of those uh, theaters where you pay mm-hmm. um, I you the a dollar and they said it was a penny though I don't know why they call it a penny theater okay. I'm pretty well, sure well, that is that's what what incredibly called. cheap I guess. yeah so. it's incredibly cheap and I saw it and the image quality was terrible. Really? It was you know like when you see a really old film footage it's uh, there's like purple dots on it or oh, it yeah. like it's, so so it's just a meat? very
0: old reel yeah cuz that's right like the cheaper like the dollar cinemas the penny penny theaters are like uh it's like a week or two after the release of the movie or maybe even more and oh, it was even longer that's why it's like a discounted rate but that's also they probably you know they probably screened that that film so many times that it just got ruined <laughs> and by the time you saw it <laughs> yeah it was absolutely ruined uh and it was
1: those weren't like tiny blotches. They would cover up the entire screen on some scenes. I, know,
0: uh, I think it was. Wow. I saw when I was eight. Maybe that's why you thought it was like it was someone else. It wasn't Cuba Gooding because you couldn't tell. It could but, have
1: been any. It could have been Owen Wilson. It could have been Angelina <laughs> Jolie. It could have, anyone could have been the lead in that movie,
0: and I would not have known. I haven't seen it, but I imagine Cuba Gooding is probably the ideal person for the role, for the job. What? Did why? Do good? I mean, like, would you want to see Snow Dogs with Owen Wilson? I like Cuba getting. Junior. I don't want to see Snow Dogs with any of the <laughs> actors. <What? laughs> Why did you go watch it? It was a penny, I guess. Yeah,
1: I mean, it was, I, mean it was, I was eight years old, and uh, I was, you know, it didn't even get popcorn. It was, it was crappy. But
0: what? Yeah. So Maggie comes up to Soapy. He's feeding the dogs in this giant kennel, mm-hmm. and uh, she's like, "Soapy, like you're gonna hurt your back." It's this really old dude. Um, so he's trying to feed these dogs with this giant bag of uh, dog food. Um, Shouldn't you just, like, if you had a giant bag of dog food, shouldn't you just, like, scoop up dog food with, like, a cup and then pour it out for the dogs? Yeah. Like, yeah. why is he picking up the whole bag? I don't know. That's the most inefficient manner. Yeah. Then, like, and it gets all the kibble everywhere. Is that what it's called? It gets all the dog food yeah. on the
1: ground. like. Just try spicy. to picture it. Like, picking up, like, a 30-pound bag of food, you're to it's just going to drop everywhere. Oh, and uh, the dogs are just going to be following you. They're probably, like, pouncing up on you, too, trying to get some of that kibble food so that, yeah you're right you should just use a cup that's, yeah
0: that that makes more sense uh guy can't even raise proper racing dogs can't even feed them right <laughs> well he's old now he's like in the 82 in his, right that's how old it is 82? 82 82 yeah they say. that's what they say it's pretty old man um well, you're telling me that you discovered uh, we have subtitles on our DVDs.
1: Yes, I did not know that. Um, but did you I use didn't, them for this
0: episode, or I did,
1: but only halfway through because okay. I missed. I had to keep rewinding a scene. Yeah. I, I didn't understand what they were saying. And finally,
0: well, what scene was it? Because this was one of the scenes that I had to use subtitles. Oh,
1: really? For. I think I used it right when the documentaries were being introduced. Okay.
0: All right, we'll get we'll get there in a second. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I in this scene, there's a line that I had to turn subtitles on for. Uh, she's like making fun of Soapy or she's like, you know, kind of criticizing him because he's old and he shouldn't be um, climbing trees. He shouldn't be doing all this stuff. He's not like a sprightly young man anymore, mm-hmm. um, though he has that kind of personality. Um, and he has a line, something like, uh, if I wanted to be a prune, I'd try lawn bowling. You yes. That? That... What is lawn bowling? I don't know. Is that like croquet or? that's what I, had, I... To, had to subtitle that. <laughs> I, I, I thought about that too. I thought he said, to be honest, I thought he said lawn mowing. That's what I thought he said. And I like, just couldn't understand what the line was about, so I turned the subtitles on, and I was even more confused <laughs> by lawn bowling. It, that it must mean um, bowling crochet. Bowling with a B. Right? Is that what you're trying to say? Lawn, lawn bowling, yeah. So bowling, yeah.
1: I think that's actually a thing that you, they did back in, in the 90s. Just like bowling on your lawn.
0: Like yeah, lawn yeah. Lawn uh, lawn, yeah, okay. you would
1: just set up some pins, and you just go across your lawn and did it. It um, was the
0: 90s. This episode aired, like, what, July or June... 1990? Yeah, straight
1: 1990. I want to say it was June is when it was released in. A mm-hmm. uh, long time ago. Before we were born. Mm-hmm. That's
0: how long ago it was. Oh, wait. That's what I wanted to talk about with some quick credits. Uh, I didn't really talk about this on any other episodes, but um, this episode was written by Karen Hall and Jerry Stahl. Jerry Stahl is known for... Uh, this. Um, American novelist and screenwriter, according to Wikipedia. Uh, (laughs) He is known for his memoir, Permanent Midnight, which was adapted into a film. Can't say I've seen it, but I know Ben Stiller is like the lead role in the movie. Um, But this was a guy who was sort of like this, um, I guess sort of like a hotshot writer at the time. He was written for a lot of uh, TV series. I think sort of like most notably recently is uh, he did the HBO movie Hemingway and Gellhorn, also, I haven't seen it, but that's, I know. I haven't seen that either. He's written for like Marin. He's written for, uh, this episode of Northern Exposure. He what, he wrote for Marin? Marin. Yeah.
1: Like for Mark Marin's, uh. The TV t- show. Yeah. The TV yeah. show, Mark Marin. Oh my. Yeah. He
0: did. Apparently he's done, uh, let's see, like seven or eight episodes of Marin. Wow. Spanning different years, it looks like. So, um, I haven't seen that show. it you, it was good I saw writing? on the
1: pilot, and it was okay. But it's yeah. basically just a fictional, well, uh, semi-fictionalized version of Mark Maron's life. I, I don't even know if you really like Mark Maron that much. Um, but yeah, it's it's okay. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're bored,
0: go for it. <laughs> I like Mark Maron in things. Like, I like him starring in uh, what is it? Glow. Glow was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was glow. But can't really say I haven't. I, you know, I haven't listened to the podcast matcher. I, sure. I might actually like him more as an interviewer than a comic. Yeah? Oh, so yeah. you like his podcast way more than his comedy? Yeah,
1: though I do like his comedy. I mean, he's an alternative comic. Uh, he, he, he's a force to be reckoned with on, that, on the comedy circuit. But yeah, his WTF podcast. I guess we're plugging his podcast now, but not that he needs it, yeah. but that's a really good podcast.
0: <laughs> but uh, who was the other writer you were saying? Uh, Karen Hall. Uh, so let's see. I didn't really have any credits for her. Um, Oh, she wrote for MASH, actually. Um, Wait, really? That's what That was the other credit, yeah. Because there's actually a couple different, I think the last episode was also written by, um, uh, sorry, The Brains Know-How on Native Intelligence, episode two was written by Stuart Stevens, who wrote for MASH, and also was apparently like part of Mitt Romney's campaign. He's a political um, activist, I guess. Sorry, we're not even on episode two, but I'm talking about
1: it. Um, <laughs> That's okay. So it said a writer for episode two was, he was Mitt Romney's, uh, what, what was he Mitt Romney? Like, how was he associated with Mitt Romney's campaign? Top strategist
0: of Mitt Romney's what? 2012 presidential campaign. That, how do you go? He also wrote, he was like a travel writer. He wrote for um, Northern Exposure. Oh, I guess he didn't write for MASH. I just thought he, he didn't did. not write for MASH? But he did write a, a another episode, which we'll get to, I guess, in a later season. Mm-hmm. Um, not in the first season, but we'll, we'll talk more about Stuart Stevens then.
1: Yeah, well, it looks like Karen Hall wrote uh, Judging Amy. this uh television yeah. show in the 90s. What is that? I, uh, I, I think it's the one, um, let me see. Yeah, it's the one about the judge. Uh, and she was mostly talking about her experiences of being a mother. It, was just, uh, it really didn't win a lot of awards. It's just one of those television shows that it just happens to pop up when you think about the 90s. The 90s that it yeah. just been on, uh, I think it was on CBS oh, Speaking
0: well. of the 90s, uh, Jerry Stahl, who's co-writer of this episode, also wrote an episode of Twin Peaks. Really? He wrote one episode of Twin Peaks as well. I think it was the same year. Um,
1: oh, wow. They were just sharing writers all over the television shows in the 90s landscape. Yeah, I mean, so where we're, do we leave off? I like how it cuts... I didn't even realize that he was in drastic medical need, or like not in drastic, but was just in need of medical need. Because the next scene is Maggie uh, talking to Joel, and she apparently arranged for a meeting for an appointment for Soapy Soapy Sandersons, mm-hmm. and they get into a little fight, little argument.
0: Yeah, as as as, as does uh, Joel and Maggie. They they. Oh, that's their default mode. It's just like their their method of flirting, I guess. <laughs> just like arguing. Arguing is they're flirting. There's some good flirt arguments in this episode. Kind of like, yeah. We'll there
1: it is. Yeah. Um, so, oh, one of the key things that is revealed in this scene. Yes. It's very important. There's 815 people living in this town. Oh my God.
0: Update. To the population, I'm pretty sure the first episode had like 200, right? And they've gone to 800 in the third episode. They did some work. <laughs> like they, everyone in Alaska heard that they got this new like Jew doctor. And uh, that's what Maurice calls him. You know, once I heard that we got a shout out a Jew doctor from New York in Sicily, everyone. Else.
1: Tripled the population right there. <laughs> that <laughs> is <laughs> impressive.
0: Yes, that so, is.
1: So <laughs> 815 people, which I have to say is way more than I thought in the town of Sicily, I would have thought 300, just looking at yeah. the size of the town.
0: So, I think that's what our estimate might have been. In yeah,
1: the so 800 people, 400. 815 people, and that was the most important thing I got out of that scene,
0: really. <laughs> well, okay, so there's a scene, uh, we're probably jumping out of order, but let's just kind of like brush through this, Soapy, because spoiler alert, as we said, Soapy's dead. But before we get there, um, Soapy does see Joel. He's Joel basically tells him what we told you. Soapy's really old and he needs to stop like running around like he's a kid. And just before Soapy leaves the doctor's office, he asks Joel if he's married. Mm-hmm. And Joel says no. And then Soapy gets sort of like this mischievous grin, like he's got a plan or yeah, something. Yeah, he's
1: got a glint in his eye. Yeah,
0: which is funny because Joel should have just said, uh, no, I'm not married, I'm engaged. He didn't yeah. mention, He
1: doesn't mention Elaine at all. His he fiance. always conveniently leaves out Forget's, that he's uh, going to be engaged <laughs> soon. <laughs> To uh, his fiance, uh, yeah. yeah. But I like that he was so excited about it because I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he was thinking in his mind he was going to play matchmaker
0: of some Yeah, kind. so that's Soapy. Yeah, Soapy, the reason why Soapy asks that question is because as we find out, um, he wants to put Maggie and Joel together. I think it's because um, whenever, Mag- whenever Soapy is alone in the doctor's office, the room, mm-hmm. um, you can hear Joel and Maggie arguing off screen or like in the other room and it makes Soapy chuckle. And as we learned to find out in this episode, um, you know, Soapy left behind some journals and things. And in those journals, he wrote about how Maggie reminded uh, himself of his wife, uh, yeah. Soapy's wife. Um, and you can tell that Maggie from the first scene, Maggie and Soapy have this very strong connection. And um, yeah, so something about Maggie is... Reminding Soapy of his love life and he can see this sort of like fiery... Argument, flirtation, action going on between mm-hmm. Maggie and Joel, and he kind of wants to do this matchmaker thing.
1: Yeah, even comments on it. I think he says, uh, "Feisty women are never boring."
0: Yeah, I think is what he says right and there. And then Joel says, "Boring. Let me tell you something. Boring women get a bad rap."
1: Yes, <laughs> like, I love
0: boring women or something. That's such, a which g- is true. I think boring women get a bad yeah,
1: rap. Yeah, I think so I too. That's such a yeah. I completely agree with you. I don't know why we like <laughs> everyone has to be the hero or yeah. it has to be uh, in so the spotlight. Like
0: pixie dream girl. Oh yeah, of course. Um, um. But I mean, hey, yeah, I can't. I can't. I'm not throwing shade on any women.
1: <laughs> I was so surprised when they actually showed his death, and they even showed the cause of his death on so, Soapy Center.
0: Yeah. So um, yeah. So Maggie and Joel have to fly uh, to visit Soapy. Um, a house call again. I, I assume no. There's a dirty deed that uh, Soapy has for them. Maggie yes. says Soapy's got a dirty deed, and he needs both of us. Ed is the deliverer of the news. I think so, and yeah. so Joel agrees to do it. When they get there, Soapy is dead, and yeah, the way that the way that it's depicted though is you only see um, Soapy's shoes, right? You only see like yeah. at the foot of the bed, Soapy's shoes, and um, in the foreground, Soapy's shoes. In the background, Maggie and Joel kind of like looking at what we can only presume is Soapy's dead body, who we learn um, kind of shot himself with a with a. Magnum or something, yeah. It was a magnum. Is that what you're referring to, like how they show it? Or, yeah, I they was they don't show his, they don't show like any blood or they anything. don't show any blood. I was still, I was taking a back when I saw that. The I, pistol or the entire
1: scene. I think the <laughs> first thing I said was, uh, Jesus,
0: they actually showed the suicide. It's pretty morbid, yeah. It is yeah. a morbid scene, and they, they comment on it. And then uh,
1: they like, I thought that was already enough. I thought I was like, wow, they really pushed the border, uh, the the, the lines on his border, and then. Joel picks up the his arm and he says, "Well, I think I found the culprit of the cause,
0: like hand cannon."
1: Yes, I can't believe they showed that. Some ritzy stuff or nineteen ninety <laughs> CVS. Yeah,
0: uh, well. Oh geez. Is the, this prime time? It's probably prime time. Kids are like going to sleep. It's not. It's not. Kid. It's not airing at the same time as you know Barney the Dinosaur. <laughs> to be honest, I don't even think they could show a scene like that in today's time. Not. Are you kidding me? I mean HBO. Like.
1: Oh uh, well. I mean HBO is a special case. Uh-huh. I mean, like on CBS. Oh well. Think about. it. Can you imagine well, being a, a suicide in no, Big def- Bang Theory? Yeah.
0: No. Definitely. Yeah. Because. You know, this show, if it were released today, should come out with like a trigger warning uh, for that scene. Because, yeah. You know, <laughs> any, yeah, anything in today's media. Uh, what was like the last movie that came out that I don't think it had a trigger warning when it uh, when it first came out in theaters? But there's this whole like, uh, like they had to start putting trigger warnings on it. Um, really? I think it was. Uh, I haven't seen it, but um, a Star Is Born. I think it. I think at least in some cities. It uh after like the first week of playing, it aired with or sorry, it screened with a trigger warning in the beginning. Because do you know anything about? No, 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 no. Well, spoiler alert. There's some suicide in that movie. It should be a spoiler because this movie is like a remake of a remake. (laughs) Yes, okay,
1: I knew that. Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the yeah in today's climate. um Yeah, I think actually I think you're right. Yeah, if it. Wouldn't air without a trigger warning. Yeah. But I think for sure, like, it, it would, you would see that on HBO. If this was an HBO right. show,
1: I would have not been surprised. I, in fact, I would have been wondering, like, where's the suicide scene? Have, we're on episode on. three. It's
0: episode three. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it was on CBS, and they showed it, and they showed the gun, and I was uh, taken aback. Yeah. Uh, I really like that line that he used to describe that depth, though, where I think Maggie and Joel, once they get into, I think, no joke, like ten arguments in yeah, this entire yeah. episode. And one of their arguments, Maggie counters against Joel saying, he was fine till you told him to think about the future. And I like that line a
0: lot. That's and too. he was like, I was... Well, what is what is Joel's response? He says something like, uh, I was talking about a walker.
1: Yeah, like, yeah, man. I was talking about getting a walker, not... <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think he says this. That would be really too much, but like putting a bullet through my skull, yeah. I don't no, that. no, of
0: course, yeah. They couldn't get away with that, you know? <laughs> but,
1: um, yeah, but I, I really like that line about uh, thinking about the future and that's what would cause the death yeah. of uh, this man right Do here. Do you think,
0: I? and so you watched this episode today. It's been yeah. a couple days since I've watched it, but upon my recollection, it seems like Joel is very flabbergasted by this, but Maggie, maybe not so much. I know she has the line, uh, Soapy lived the way he wanted to live, and he died the way he wanted to die. She seemed to, like, not be so surprised.
1: Yeah. Is that right? she's even the one that has to comfort Joel. She says, oh, come on, you're a doctor. You've seen dead bodies before. Yeah. And then I think Joel has a great quip back. I just can't remember off the top (laughs) of my head.
2: Look, Fleischman, Soapy lived the way he wanted to live. He died the way he wanted to die.
0: Oh, and you're not rattled.
2: What's the matter, Fleischman? You're a doctor. Haven't you seen dead bodies before?
0: Yeah, and I'm still rattled. I don't like people committing suicide. All the ethical considerations aside, it's just plain bad for business.
1: One thing that I thought was hilarious, uh, particularly concerning his death, is that they go through the will. Yeah, so is is that the next scene, I think, right? Yeah, that's the next scene.
0: So they're, like, in the brick, hauling is reading the will. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about this? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead.
1: So they're reading the will, and they're talking about who he's bestowing his uh, wealth and possessions to. And then he gives away his land, and I believe the dogs... Yes, the dogs. Yeah, his state like,
0: and his, like, racing, his I did rod running racing dogs and stuff.
1: Right, to Joel and Maggie. Yeah, and they're, not like... not once did the townsfolk suspect Joel of murder. <laughs> <laughs> Joel murdered and forged the will. He's, he like, this hotshot doctor. And that, that is, is the, most, the most sketchy thing ever. Like, how have they not thought about this? It's like, oh, we got this new doctor visited this patient. The patient commits suicide the next day, and then he leaves in his wheel. All of this, how much? How many acres of land? So many acres, at least worth fifty thousand dollars, and his prized dogs worth fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, and not a single one of them bats an eyelash. You're like, that sounds about right. (laughs) This happens in this town all the time. Well,
0: I will say, if Joel did forge that, uh, you know, everything leading up to that uh, part of the will is is pretty spot on for like something that Joel probably wouldn't have um, been able to write if he. Hadn't been Soapy. So like some of the things that Soapy leaves in his will is, uh, so he he leaves a bunch of cash for um, everyone at the brick to have a drink on him. Oh, yeah, you're so right. So that's nice. And then he leaves like a collection of, like his old collection of all his country music, his records mm-hmm. to Chris. So Chris is throughout this episode going to be playing a lot of country music uh, because it is written in Soapy's will that that's the way it has to go.
1: Um, I, I thought it was really interesting that Maurice doesn't like country music. I would have thought he would have been the one character that would have enjoyed country music. What does Maurice
0: say about country music in this episode? I can't remember, but I think he she just doesn't said, like.
1: Oh, no, 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 I remember. He says that if you play these records in the morning, you're going to find yourself surrounded yeah. by all sorts of barrels, yeah. guns, and I'll be the one leading the pack. Yeah, he's like,
0: <laughs> he hates country music. I mean, I mean, I think we've seen it already, but the only thing Maurice wants to listen to is show tunes. So. That's true, <laughs> you're right. Yeah, all he wants to listen to is King and I... Um, but, so, uh, talking about the um, estate and all the stuff that Soapy leaves for Maggie and Joel, uh, that immediately initiates, like, ignites this argument between Maggie and Joel, and we get that, that theme music coming back. Like, the triangle comes in. It's great. You know, yeah. the piano. Oh, it's just like, you know, it's a, it's a funny, it's kind of a heated argument, but then it's undercut with this very beautiful... God, the score is, like, getting better in each episode. It know? really
1: is. We talked about this in uh, episode two where yeah. we were saying, like, oh, these are some nice flutes that are going on yeah. here. Now they got the nice piano just playing throughout it, and I genuinely liked yeah. it. And I, I think it, it happens, I think, three more times throughout the episode. It hap- the Yeah,
0: it'll happen in other episodes too. Like I said, this is kind of Maggie's Oh, it's theme. coming back?
1: It's coming back. It's going to come back. Great.
0: <laughs> it's one of my favorite uh, compositions of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we ahead. get
1: introduced to the land uh, that they're being inherited, and that's yeah. going to be pretty much the main plot, uh, well, the main uh, friction yeah. between the characters is what to do with this land. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really interesting that the people that approach Joel to buy the land, yes. they are... Uh, Native American.
0: They're Native uh, American. Chief Ron Concomo.
1: Yes, that's his name.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Who I wanted to say, actually, was well, just a little little bit of background Um, Maggie and Joel have all of Soapy's land now. Joel doesn't want to be a part of it. He's like, whatever, you can just take it, Maggie. Name a petting zoo after me. You know, like (laughs) she wants to open up a nature preserve. He's like, fine, like, I don't care. Um, Like a day after that, um, Joel is met in his office by um, Chief Ron Concomo, his attorney, and maybe another- His accountant. His accountant, and yeah. And it's just like a bunch of uh, Native Americans coming in and they want to buy the land from Joel, as you're saying. And uh, one thing I really liked about the costuming in this uh, scene, Chief Ron Concomo is wearing a T-shirt that says, Do the Right Thing. It's actually uh, the logo for the movie, Do the Right Thing, the Spike Lee movie. I
1: did not catch that reference yeah. at all. You
0: don't really, you can't see all the lettering because he's wearing like a jacket over yeah. the T-shirt. But you can clearly, if you've seen the cover of Do the Right Thing, you can tell that's the, um, that's the title graphic. Does of, that relate to the movie? Well, um, well, tell me about what you think of this scene and I'll, and I'll tell you. Because you, you were just bringing it up. Yeah. yeah, what, are yeah. Your, what are your thoughts on this sequence?
1: I thought it was really interesting because it's these Native Americans that want to buy the land, but not for the reason that you would have thought. It's not because they want to take back their land because they think it rightfully belongs to them or they yeah, want to donate it to the tribe. They want to use it for a tax shelter. Yes. They want to drill it. And they know that there's no oil or methane to be found there, so it will be ruined, and it will be a lost a um, lost income to them, and to be able to write which it they off. Can write off, yeah. Yeah, as a tax shelter, which is the last thing you would have expected them to do. Yeah, because uh, these
0: are, you know, you don't expect Native Americans to be savvy necessarily in legalese or, you know, tax shelters and such. But yeah. as it turns out, they came into a lot of money, or maybe they, I don't know what it is, but... They're quite wealthy, and turns out they like need a tax shelter. Yeah, um, but just going on to that um, the theme of like do the right thing. You mentioned um, the scene begins with you sort of uh, suspecting, you know, oh these Native Americans, um, they have the best of inti- the best, best intentions, intentions for the land. Yeah, and then uh, by the end of it, you kind of realize. It's a little more sinister, but Chief Enchakamo has a really great line. He doesn't do a lot of talking in the scene because it's like attorney or his accountant is speaking for him, mm-hmm. representing him. And then Chief Enchakamo steps up and he says, "Doctor Fleischman,
2: may I ask you who would know better how to govern this land? You and this partner, or the people who have lived and died here for thousands of years? It's um, it's a question of justice."
0: Don't you think? As soon as he says that, his representative says, "And there's also the case of uh, fifty thousand dollars that we're willing to pay you for this uh, <laughs> for this land." So no, but it is an interesting sort of dilemma because um, Joel needs the money because he needs to build up a defense in court so that he can get out of this contract. He mm-hmm. wants to go back to New York because he doesn't want to work in Sicily. He was promised he would be. Serving as a doctor in Alaska, uh sorry, in Anchorage, mm-hmm. and it turns out now he has to serve in Sicily for four years. So he wants to get out of that contract. This is a perfect, um, perfect like opportunity for him to get some money. Um, but at the same time, it's like a false sense of doing the right thing, because it seems like he's like, yes, let's give it back to the Native Americans. Like they lived and died on this land. But the truth of the matter is, it's sort of like a shady practice and. As much as um, Maggie's nature preserve sounds kind of, like, lofty and idealistic and silly, at least it's not kind of cruel and, like, cheating the system, you know? Yeah. So Joel's balancing – yeah, well, I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, what do you think about that sort of I action?
1: actually think that that was the pivotal scene in the entire episode because I think it's speaking to the theme of it, which I think later on in the episode Joel even says it, but uh, writing a greater wrong – Okay. I think that that's the theme to uh, to this episode. And the reason I think that is because a lot of these characters are driven by selfish self-interest. Yeah. They think that – they know that this thing they're doing short-term is hurtful, but they think it's going to pay off in the long term. So it's a possibility that the Native Americans, they wanted to use the tax dollar savings to benefit like a systematic poverty or wrong in their yeah. community. Because uh-huh. they say the line, like, well, how do you think – who knows what better to do with the land? Yeah. You – or us who lived here for so long. So even though in our eyes right now we think like, oh, it's being used for a talk shelter. Like, oh, that's like sinister. That's terrible. Um, Maybe they say like, well, we're going to use the proceeds from that in order to help our community Hmm. throughout there.
0: But they don't ever say that in the episodes.
1: They don't. I'm reading into what their motives could be. But I think that that's actually a really big uh, theme about it because a a lot of the times actually – you know, drilling land itself is kind of speaking to that theme. When you drill the land, you're hoping that the long-term uh, solutions for it will be more beneficial to everyone involved. Even the short term is going to be really terrible when you're drilling and raising mm-hmm. the land. Yeah. Uh, really funny about that. Well,
0: Go just on. on on that subject, uh, sort of drilling the land too. In some cases, is a lot of um, job opportunity, and it's sort of like a thriving time whenever there's a lot of drilling. Like some of these like, you know, some of these like barren oil fields, you know, they're just like empty now. But at the time when there was sort of like an oil boom, Mm -hmm. there's just like, you know, there's so much demand for housing and for like restaurants and like, you know, infrastructure. Because a lot of people are moving in to like work these jobs. Yeah, yeah. But uh, at the end of, you know, whenever they're done drilling, it just sort of becomes a ghost town. Right. It's like the definition of a ghost town.
1: Exactly. And it leaves them in shambles. And we see it happen in all sorts of towns. But what's particularly special about this one is that they're in Alaska, which is particularly has their own problem with drilling. Today, uh, is that what you're saying? uh, Since the 1950s, I want to say. Okay, throughout history. Yeah, they've had the uh, Arctic National Wildlife Refugee, uh, ANWAR, which is what everyone calls it, Ah. which lots of people want to drill there because they think there's going to be a lot of oil to be found there. But... They know that there's going to be giant repercussions for the caribou that live there. I think they're called the porcupine caribou. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it would actually change the wildlife forever yeah. if they drilled there for some small amount of oil. And I actually just found this out. I, I looked this up. I was yeah. looking more into Anwar. It was actually illegal to drill there for a number of decades, uh, 1,022 acres of land, mm-hmm. but the 2017 Tax Cut Act actually made it legal to drill Oh, I wonder out. why.
0: Great. Yeah, yeah, I
1: know. But I thought I was – I did not catch that when the, uh, that tax bill was getting
0: passed. I was like, oh, I didn't even know they slid that provision into there. They got it, man. Ronkonkomo, like, you know, big Trump, big <laughs> Trump supporter. <I> <laughs> um,
1: so, yeah, yeah um, what I'm trying to say here is that I, I think that a, a lot of this episode has a lot of that theme going on where you can't really tell if – the short term is going to help for the long term, and so like Joel wants to use the money that he's getting here, and he know he knows that it's wrong to use this money to get out of here, but he shouldn't have been here in the first place. Yeah. So he's trying so to he's right trying a to greater right that wrong. wrong. Yeah. 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 So to him, this is just justice. He's he's getting to it in a wrong. Like what are they? Uh, what's that called? Ends justify the means. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's just trying to do that. I like that reading. If it comes up again in this episode, like point it out to me. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, wasn't. I guess I didn't think of it. That. That uh, deeply, but that's that's a good reading, I think. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, so the the whole plot with Joel and Maggie is Joel is trying to, so Joel and Maggie are sharing this land sort of half and half. Mm-hmm. And Joel wants to sell his portion to the tribe, to Chief on but he doesn't know how to tell Maggie that. So he's sort of like, um, you know, hiding the truth in like, you know, like I found this great opportunity for us to give the land back. Mm-hmm. And Maggie sort of like sees this new side of Joel, as she says, but it's really sort of like a, hes Joel's kind of lying to her. He's not really telling her the full truth. Right. She sort of falls in love with this idea of Joel being, finally like being unselfish. and altruistic Which fella. in truth, he's actually being the most selfish he could be. Like he's looking out <laughs> for his best interest.
1: I like where he's, He's trying to pedal back on that. He's trying to explain to her that he's not actually this great guy that she thinks he is. Uh-huh. And uh, oh, yeah, she, is she says, like, oh, like, I never knew you had this a totally different end, this side of you. And he says, yeah, "Yeah, but there's a whole lot in the middle too. (laughs) I think we're skipping right now. (laughs) I really like that line when they're talking about that. But yeah, uh, as soon as it's revealed, or at least to Maggie, it seems like it's revealed that he is doing this for very generous purposes. She instantly warms up to him and uh, they have a little romantic dinner.
0: Yeah, you want to talk about the dinner? Uh, So yeah, Maggie kind of invites herself over to Joel's house. Again, we get another like, beautifully, uh, sort of like night uh, scene with like sort of the kind of warm lighting and sort of like the dark blues. Mm-hmm. And I think they even light a fire. Like there's sort of like the fireplace. Yeah. Like beautiful, um, just beautiful colors. And they open this uh, very ancient bottle of wine, like a 19, I wrote it down, 1975 uh, Lafitte Rothschild, which uh, at the time of, airing or a time of shooting this episode, Joel says is worth $200. I wonder how much, Well, that's the thing about wine, right? Like doesn't wine like peak? So that might be like a worthless bottle of wine today. Wait, is that really how wine works? Yeah. There's like a, there's an optimal time to drink it. Like you can uh, store wine and like, you know, really old wine is supposed to be really good, but at a certain point, like it peaks and like it just um, starts to, I guess, you know, cause wine isn't, wine won't last forever. Like wine will spoil. Uh, yeah, I, I just never thought about that. Yeah, I guess you're right.
1: Like, there's actually a proper period in which you're supposed to be drinking this wine, which at this point would be 15 years since it was a 1975
0: uh, port. Okay, Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. I'm kind of like going online. Ooh, okay, 1975, Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. It's a good year. That's what Joel says. Uh, average price, $718. Oh, Wow. That's an expensive bottle of wine. Oh, and they as got of that the day of rec- as of our recording.
1: right. And that wine was given to them
0: in the will. All oh, right. so this is like yes yeah, Soapy, I guess collected a lot of here's uh, a sommelier. Wines. Uh, was he a sommelier? I don't know. I, I, we're just assuming at this point. I mean, he—he he was a professor. He was revealed to have like two, to, two or three degrees. Like in this episode, what is it like someone named Soapy has two doctorates? <laughs> it's
1: like, what? He <laughs> I love that line. Doctorate
0: mythology and theology.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I, it, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to know that he was a master sommelier.
0: Yeah, he's uh, definitely a sommelier. sommelier. Sommelier is that even?
1: Oh man, I'm terrible. Yeah,
0: me too. <laughs> but anyway, they have this this gorgeous scene where they, uh, uh, Maggie and Joel. Maggie admits to like coming on to Joel because mm-hmm. they get a little drunk yeah and it's clear that there's a lot of electricity in the air, but um, Joel has that guilt like he knows that Maggie is seeing sort of like a false version of himself because mm-hmm. he's lying to Maggie about the land and he's trying to express that to her and somehow it gets lost in the um, in the converse like in the crossfire like she doesn't really. Maggie interprets it as a uh, Joel being, um, being like put off by Maggie coming on to him. Yeah, she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Like, did I, I came on to you too hard? I'm sorry." Yeah, I crossed and the then, boundaries. Yeah, cross. I crossed the line there, and then Joel realizes. That she was coming on to him, he's like, "Wait, wait, were you about to? Were we about to kiss just then?" <laughs> so it's a comedy of errors, sort of like yeah, a,
1: miscommunication right there when they're not realizing they're not within the same plane of reasoning. But yeah, they're they are always drinking together. They are drinking buddies, and then like in
0: the first episode, right, they were he gets drinking. a little drunk and he compliments her. uh. Yeah. Compliments her lips. Mm-hmm.
1: It seems like the only time that they really start to let loose is whenever they're drinking. They need some sort of inhibition. Some I mean, sort that's, of thing. that's how
0: it works, right? Isn't that like the... I mean, yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <It's just>
1: like... <laughs> so, yeah, uh, they go through there and then she gives them a sweet
0: peck on the cheek. And oh, then... yeah, get a little cold. Little... Is there... Does Maggie's theme does not play in this? Scene. I don't. I do not believe it plays. Maggie's theme has a little too much energy. Like this it is always a very plays sp- in
1: argument scenes. Actually, because yeah. I, I remember it plays in a future argument scene yeah. whenever she finds out that he's a. Well,
0: know, so he's lying. I, I think this scene is has a very suave, like mellow tone, mm-hmm. and the argument scenes are very charged and like kinetic. But the Maggie's theme does does a good job of sort of like tempering it down. Tempering it, like kind of giving it a nice, like uh, a nice little happy emotion, like a happy vibe, mm-hmm. like a fun, loving vibe. Even though it's like, so we get to laugh at them yelling at each other. It's not uh, so, much, so it's trying to play it down yeah, to it's a like, comedic it's level. It, it's making it more flirtatious. More, um, it's the word I'm looking for.
1: Yeah. So they get through there, and uh, then we're introduced
0: to some new characters. Oh yeah. So well, I mean, we we've been jumping around, but one of our, I guess the B plot. I don't know how many plots we have in this episode, but. Uh, Ed is with a bunch of film students, right? Is that what you're? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So documentaries. Ed's hanging out with some documentary film students. So it's this um, female, sort of like director producer type, and uh, this Asian uh, cameraman. Yes. Um, and they're just so surprised uh, when they exit the, they come out of Ed's truck. Maybe he's like he's driving them around, and uh, the producer director lady. Um, she's like pointing at the ground. She's like, wow, this is great. This is great dirt. What kind of dirt is this, Ed? And Ed's like laughing. He's like, is that a trick question? <laughs> like, you know, these people are like so into the art. Um, I think the the cinematographer guy, the Asian guy, says something about um, he only uses like natural source light because it's more natural. Source yeah, light.
1: Yeah, he's a uh, source light. And uh, I like everything about this with Ed because... Obviously it's setting Ed up onto another journey, but Ed is actually savvy to what they're doing to oh, yeah. some degree. Because Ed's the one that asks them the question. He says, Hey, why don't you uh, set up more lighting on here? And then the cameraman says, Well, I, I like to use source lighting. It looks more realistic. Yeah. So Ed even knew about that. And they I think they ask a question about a John Wayne film. John Ed, Ford, yeah.
0: John Ford, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And the searchers. Or so actually what happens is uh the um the director, the the girl is um She's sort of, like, referencing a scene from The Searchers. Um, but she's like, what's the name of that film? And um, Ed knows it just, like, off the description. He's like, John Ford, Searchers. And she's impressed, too. Yeah, and they're they're like, okay, cool, this kid can hang He's around. He's not, like, a hick. Yeah. And so I-, I imagine, like, I don't know how this happened, but I imagine... So these two kids from film school um, are in town because they're doing a documentary about Soapy Sanderson. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine... Uh, Ed was sort of like their taxi, like their ride. And as he's like driving them to Sicily, uh, they just talk about film. Ed is obviously um, just like enamored with the whole process. And he proves himself in that first scene where he like references the searchers and they're like, okay, this kid can hang around. But yeah, Yeah. so as we learn is uh, Soapy was a professor at the college that they went to. Uh, Did they say what college it was? I don't think they do, actually. I think just they think, name it, but I didn't write did it Did they really? Um, but yeah, Soapy, as we said already, he has a doctorate in mythology and theology. Yes. And uh, <laughs> he was just like a very, just a very smart, wise dude and, and had a strong effect, at least on the college, maybe on a lot of students. Like, I don't know if they took any classes with Soapy, but- He just must have been like a notable figure.
1: Yeah, an influential figure. And he's obviously an influential figure on the town because these documentary people are going around asking people questions about Soapy and telling them how Soapy influenced their lives to some degree. And all of them have various answers to them. But they always – everyone knew him. So Soapy must have been a big figure in the town yeah. my favorite one is when it's with, uh, I think her name is Shelly. Yeah, Shelly. And she says, well, they ask her. She, oh, yeah, yeah, They say, hey, um, do you know anything about Soapy that no one else would know? And she goes, well, I shouldn't be saying this because he can't defend himself. He's passed away. But um, Soapy didn't believe in artificial sweeteners. And I love that.
0: <laughs> it's just like a long pause. It's like,
1: uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, and then they go around And they start uh, Interviewing other people They start interviewing um, Horace um,
0: Who's that? Maurice?
1: No Hauling Holling. I yeah. always I always <laughs> think it's Horace For some Holling reason Hauling then Yeah they interview Hauling And then Maurice butts in In the middle of that uh, interview
0: Yeah he like kind of cuts him off Yeah And what's but, great Well Ed is manning the camera Yes
1: that's what yeah. I was going to say yeah. Ed is manning the camera now Yeah, have now upgraded over. him <laughs> Um,
0: But yeah, so no, yeah, as Maurice is sort of like talking on and about, he's kind of, I think he's like sort of like uh, trying to debase like the students with their like idealistic uh, mindset. And like as Maurice goes on this whole sort of a tirade about it, the camera, we're in the camera's point of view. It starts on Maurice and then it starts to kind of like slowly get distracted with like some of the set dressings. And and it goes to the moose. It goes to the moose. It's like zooming in uh, and... Maurice is like, wait, are you even pointing this camera at me? And it's like, oh, sorry, can, can you say that all over again? <laughs> <'Cause like laughs> Your Ed, whole rant that you
1: just did Ed right there. is like
0: just not interested with whatever Maurice says. <laughs> um, and yeah. yeah, he's he's got an eye for detail, I guess. Ed yeah. And he's a little bit of a filmmaker himself.
1: Yeah, he hopes to be, what was that term he says? The uh, Bergman, Bergman of, of the North? North? Yeah, yes. he, we had
0: a Bergman reference in the last episode yeah, I know, too. he must really like him. <laughs> the so, Bergman of the North.
1: So... It's really important that the documentary people are here because they're able to re- relay new information to the townsfolk. From they're like an outsider coming in, uh-huh. so they reveal new things and kind of like what Joel was, but with theirs is much. They have like a purpose behind theirs. But what's really important with them is that they reveal that uh, Soapy actually thought of Maggie as being very similar to
0: his wife. Yeah. So that was the so we were talking about like the journal entries. Yes. Um, and what's actually. Um, yeah, they 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 kind of bring it up in a scene. Are they interviewing? They're interviewing Maggie, right? Yeah, they're because, interviewing Maggie. So a lot a lot of this episode, as you said, is they're interviewing different uh, towns, townsfolk, townsfolk, and getting their uh, their thoughts and opinions on Soapy. And all of these um, interviews we actually get in the lens of the camera. It's like a black and white sort of like video style um, mm-hmm. footage, and we're seeing like straight through the lens of the camera. So. Uh, they're interviewing Maggie and we see that that sort of coverage and they reveal that, you know, Maggie thought of you, or sorry, Soapy <laughs> thought, thought of you like he, you reminded him of his wife. And, um.
1: But with the stipulation that. Oh yeah. She was, Maggie is more defensive than his wife, but his wife took more chances on men. In love. Yeah. In love. Yeah.
0: He said like, you don't take as many chances or something in love.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: And this obviously, um, has a strong effect on Maggie. Um, I think like directly after this scene or, or very shortly after this, Maggie is walking, uh, in this big wide shot, like in sort of like an empty field. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's Soapy's land. She's walking with hauling. Yes. They're walking like side by side and just kind of talking. And Maggie is sort of talking about, um, I think she's kind of talking about Joel. Like it might've been right after, uh, they had that sort of romantic evening with the wine and the uh, fireplace. Um, And Holling uh, doesn't really pick up on it. He thinks she's talking about the land. Yeah. Um, But I had to rewatch that scene because she's kind of explicitly talking about Joel and like, should I be in love with this guy? Uh, Mm -hmm. um, So we discovered, we recently discovered that there are deleted scenes and like bloopers on the DVDs that we've been watching. Um, I don't know if you've watched any for. I think it's in. I think it was episode two. There's a scene with Maggie and Holling alone. It's like they're sitting at the brick, and Maggie's talking to Holling about something. I did not watch and that. Then, yeah, they're talking alone, and then Joel comes in, and that's like in the actual episode. Is it's the conversation between Maggie and Joel. Mm-hmm. But before that, like Maggie is talking with Holling. I think they're talking about like Holling uh, used to um, do a lot of hunting, but he doesn't hunt anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, I the reason I bring it up is because. Again, we're in a scene where it's just Maggie and Hauling. Um, and it's almost sort of like a father-daughter analog. I know you're talking so about- So he's like, a father of two children. Yeah, well, I know you're talking <laughs> about there's like a lot of father figures in this show for you, right? Yeah, So Maurice think, and uh, Holling. Yeah, Hauling is definitely sort of like a father figure for Maggie. And um, yeah, I, I like the scene. Um, it's very heart-to-heart. Kind of what uh, Beal mentioned, like our guest in the last episode, mm-hmm. he mentioned how- it's just like a lot of townsfolk kind of talking about their feelings with yeah. each other. They're just and expressing
1: themselves all it, the time.
0: That's what this scene is. And it ends with uh, Maggie finding some uh, land surveyors who yes. are like um, surveying the land because they want to build a road. And she's like, what are you talking about? This is my land. And she, this is when she figures out she's that She's unraveling the lie. The tr- yeah, the lie that Joel's told her. Um, and then she goes into that
1: great confrontation with them whenever, because they're... It actually comes in the middle yeah. of.
0: So Joel is being interviewed. Yes. Joel's, Joel's being, being interviewed, interviewed by the documentary crew.
1: And he's having to read a
0: very poignant I, I want to say it was a speech. Yeah. So I think it was attributed to Marcus Welby. That's what I have written down. Mm-hmm. I just have the words Marcus Welby written down. Is that? <laughs> I, I haven't. I didn't, you watched this today. I, I watched it a couple of days I ago. I want to say it
1: was that. <laughs> but I remember it was very poignant because it's saying, how can you actually own the land?
0: Hey, I just have a quick punch-in correction. I was wrong when I attributed the quote to Marcus Welby. Marcus Welby is the name of a fictional doctor from the ABC TV series Marcus Welby, M.D. Um, Joel makes a reference to the character in this episode. I'll play that clip at the end of the podcast if you're interested. The quote that Joel is asked to read in this scene that we're talking about, um, well, I'll let Joel explain it to you.
2: Uh, Apparently, this is a a quote from from Chief Seattle, dated 1852. Go? Yeah. Okay. Um, The the president in Washington sends word that he wishes to buy our land. But how can you buy or sell the sky, the land? The earth does not belong to man. Man belongs to the earth. All things are connected like the blood that unites us all. Man did not weave the web of life. He is merely a strand of it. Whatever he does to the web, he does to himself. Your destiny is a mystery to us. What will happen when the buffalo are all slaughtered?
1: Maggie just burst in, and Did the camera... Finished? Yeah, the camera, go ahead. The camera, is naturally, uh, is Ed in charge of the camera?
0: I think he is.
1: I don't are, think he is. No, no he's, he's not. Because he's like, did not. you get that?
0: That was amazing. Yeah. Because she busts in.
1: The cameraman naturally knows. like, Oh, something new just popped up. I got to capture <laughs> this on film. Yeah. Don't cut. Don't cut. Go straight. And he captures
0: all of that. And Which also is another crazy thing about that is like Maggie, when she busts into the door, she finishes the quote right yes, where Joel. she knows Like how it. does she know what he's saying? Because she's a boss. She just knows. <laughs> because the episode like intercuts between Joel reading this uh, excerpt and Maggie like storming towards his office. Like it's just a shot of Maggie like running and then it's like Joel is reading this monologue from this excerpt. But she like busts in and picks up exactly where he left off. Midstream. Yeah. Finishes the quote for him. Um, God, can you be yeah, even more badass than that? This is, okay, this is one of the best like Maggie, Joel, like we're starting to get into the heat of it. Like the yelling is amazing in this episode, just <laughs> them yelling at each other. This scene, um Ah, it's amazing. Just kind of like the insults that they throw at each other, the like raw emotion and like Maggie is like really hurt about this mm-hmm. and Joel knows like he's just read this excerpt. He's been, de- been dealing with this guilt. Like he knows he did wrong. And that wrong. excerpt's not helping him at all. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like trying to figure out a way to like, uh, he's trying to like He's trying to internalize his feelings. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Make sure that he's actually in the right and not in the wrong. How can I look at this in a better way? And then, like you said, Maggie throws, I think one of the insults is Odious. 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 One that she throws at him. And she storms out of the building, and then Joel follows after her. And then Maggie's theme plays again. Nice. Once again.
0: Well, I can't remember what happened. So, like, they storm out. I remember like what it looks like. But that's what do they the, talk about? They just kind of like finish wrap up their argument there or Yeah,
1: yeah, that's the one where Joel defends himself and that's where he first pulls out the line writing a greater wrong and yeah. he says where's like, where's Am- where Amnesty International for, for Joel, Joel Fleischman? Fleischman? That's true. N- you know, like I didn't even want to be here and if like I was just trying to use the money to get out of yeah. here and I really like that too. I really like his reasoning because even though it's as as viewers we see it as selfish but if you put yourself in his shoes and you're supposed to be in anchorage and you got shipped off to a town of 815 people and your toilet doesn't work yeah uh you don't want to be here at all like of course you're going to be looking for a way
0: out i don't i I really don't blame him man so well i don't know if maggie has this rebuttal but um there's a scene with chris and joel uh they're in the K Bear studio and um Again, like I said Chris is playing all this great like country music I think he's there's one song uh, yeah it's this scene uh, he's like finishing Chris is finishing his broadcast and he says all right so we're gonna listen to this next song it's called take an old cold Tater and wait <laughs> um, wait there's another there's some other good I just want to like run off like a list of like some yes of the, please hold on I wrote down some of my favorite uh, let's see titles for um, country music. Chris and Maurice are talking to each other. They're looking over... Maurice is looking over the uh, records. This is when you're talking about how Maurice hates country music. Yes, He says... um, Chris says, you gotta love country music. It's so raw with energy and passion, which I think is true. You know, like, a lot of country music is, like, crooning and, like, crying and, like... Mm -hmm. You know, country music is... Characterized a lot of times by like I lost my girlfriend, I lost my dog, yeah. I lost my truck. You know? <laughs> it's kind of like mournful.
1: It's yeah, it's it's often mischaracterized as being about like these simpletons and about their stupid problems. But uh, it's kind
0: of a universal sorrow, like a pang of the heart.
1: It is. You know? Yeah, I don't know why it gets such a bad uh, rep. I think it was a. Uh, I want to say it was Bo Burnham who made that joke. He was saying like, oh, so like when Bruce Springsteen sings about like a turnpike, we all think that's art. Yeah. But on country music, we all think they're like hicks. Like, yeah. oh, that doesn't make any wow. sense. That's so pretty. yeah.
0: Uh, but yeah, some of these titles for the songs, uh, Ferland Husky, Why Should I Put Up With You? She's Acting Single, I'm Drinking Double. <laughs> I'm the Only Hell My Mama Ever Raised. Those are some of the titles, the selections they make. But anyway, yeah, so getting back to Chris and Joel, um, Chris has, like, a really good um, insight into what we're talking about, like, mm-hmm. sort of, like, be where you are now.
2: Well, you know, the way I see it, if you're here for four more years or four more weeks, you're here right now. You know, I think when you're somewhere, you ought to be there because it's not about how long you stay in a place. It's about what you do while you're there. And when you go... Is that place any better for you having been there by answering your question? Um, no, not really.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so yeah it's it's a nice it's a nice little bit of philosophy from from Chris. This is like as we said, Chris isn't really in the first episode. you were only kind of introduced to him in the second episode. Mm-hmm. How do you like Chris in the third episode? I
1: like him a lot, man. I think he's a good character because he's He's neither one of his two father figures. He is. uh, (laughs) He's not going to go in either one of the directions. He. uh, So. What do you mean? Wait. What do you mean by that? So, we talked about this before. We said he's actually more similar to uh, Uncle Anka. Oh yeah, Anku. Yeah. Anku. He's uh, really similar to them, even though I believe they have never met. Those two characters. Mm -hmm. They're very similar in those philosophies, and. He's able to dole out advice that is just plain good advice, like in my opinion. Like it's it's quantity over – quality, quality, quality over quantity. Yeah. uh, Giving out theirs. And he's just another figure that can guide Joel. Sort of like an out-of-the-box. Yeah, an out-of-the-box. And also he's less involved. Like he has less stake, I feel, in providing advice. Yeah, to them. It's um, like a cool
0: laid-back character. Yeah. He's just really he's just cool doing dude. his
1: thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I like his character a lot. So far, I mean, to be honest, I like I don't think there's a character so far that I, I've disliked. Uh, so far in northern exposure.
0: I think the person at this stage, like the, the least developed characters. Um and I will say, like, uh this show as it grows, like every character sort of takes on a life of their own. They get like they get so much um, development, character development, and it's a very character driven show. Like, literally, every character has so much story behind them. Um, but I will say, at this point, episode three, I think like the least developed character right now is probably Ruth Ann, the person who owns the corner store. Yes. It's like not a lot of scenes. Like, there are a couple scenes in her store. She doesn't really have a lot of lines. Well, the
1: only thing we know about her is that she doesn't know
0: what, what is bagels are. Yeah, bagel. She doesn't know what a um, bagel is. <laughs> She has some recommendations with uh, plumbing, I guess. Like she told me. Yeah.
1: But, but uh, um, I would say her and I don't remember her name. Shelly. Yeah. Shelly? No, 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 not Shelly. Oh, okay. she, is, she, she is actually not the developed. You are. Yeah, right that's on what I was gonna say. Shelly was the Shelley is not the developed, but there's also the the nurse aide
0: Oh, for uh, Marilyn. Marilyn. Yeah. She is Marilyn's, also Marilyn's not really in a lot of this episode, is she? I don't think she has a lot to do in this episode. She
1: doesn't, but I I just wanted to say she's not yet. Yeah, that's that's true. I think the only... She is indirectly in this episode because whenever Joel is getting that proposition for the land, the uh, chief and the accountant and the attorney walk in, he closes the door, if you notice. He actually says, like, hang on one second, and he goes over and he closes the door. Obviously, he doesn't want want Marilyn to hear Yeah, so she's indirectly in this episode, but not really in here.
0: So... Um, Oh, but before we leave Chris in in country music, uh, there's just like one of my favorite quotes of this show Uh, is Chris um, sort of like giving his uh, analysis of country music.
2: Soapy once told me that the thing he loved most about country music was its sense of myth. There's heroes and villains, good and bad, right and wrong. The protagonist strolls into a bar which he sees as a microcosm of the big picture. He contemplates his existence and he asks himself, who's that babe in the red dress?
0: Yeah, so it's, <laughs> yeah, it's just a very colorful way of describing country music. Kind of like how you were saying, Like a lot of times country music is viewed as sort of like this base, uh, unintelligent sort of hick thing. But Chris gives it this wonderful framing uh, yeah. through Soapy's eyes. He mentions uh, its sense of myth. And if we remember, Soapy is a doc has a doctorate in mythology, <laughs> so no wonder he loves country music because it has so much mythology. It has this sense of myth, as Soapy says.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I I did think that I was like I had to rewatch that scene um, three or four times though in order to get uh, like what what is he even saying with this like who who is that babe in the red dress? I was trying to dig for like deeper well, metaphorical reasoning. Well,
0: here's what I my my read on that was. Uh, he sort of like gives it this wonderful frame, as I said, and uh, sort of elevates what seems maybe base and silly and you know uh, uncultured, mm-hmm. and like elevates it into this very verbose wording. And then he kind of like you know does a little bit of an alley oop at the end with it's sort of a joke, like who's that babe in the red dress? Oh, okay. That's what that's what I read it as, like a comedic effect, but also um, you know country music can be about. Um, you know, a certain level of myth and just like this epic, universal feeling that everyone shares, and it can also just be about beautiful ladies in red red dresses, (laughs) you know, like which I think is good. You gotta, you know, you have to kind of balance. You gotta have a balance between the two. Yeah, because you know you don't always want to listen to, you know, the whole myth stuff. Sometimes you want to listen to like the pop. You You got a
1: happy medium right there. Exactly. (laughs) So we're getting up to the ending scene where Maggie's chopping wood. Yes, She's, the uh, climax,
0: uh, I would say. Yeah. This is, um, well, this is great. Can I, yeah, can I just talk about my, yes. one of, the, one of yeah. my favorite uh, sort of like examples of sort of like storyboarding of this episode, like the blocking of the characters, the mm-hmm. choice of shots. Um, when... Joel approaches Maggie. This is the scene where they got to come to terms. The episode's about to end, so we got to <laughs> wrap up this plot line. Uh, Joel approaches Maggie. She's outside chopping wood. Um, and it's this beautiful sort of, um, they're very far away in the shot. Um, you can tell that Maggie's like at one end and Joel's at the other. She's like holding this ax um, and he wants to talk to her. And she's like, um, you know, what do you have to say to me? It's like, could you put the axe down first, please? Like, he's very intimidated by.
1: <laughs> and then he says something that I actually, even though it's one, it's definitely a throwaway line. Yeah. I actually gave it a lot of thought and how you probably wouldn't say this in real life. But when she puts the axe down, yeah. Joel says, how about we meet halfway? Yeah. Because they're there's quite some distance between them. Yeah. And then they actually
0: do it. Metaphorically and like physically, they are far away. And then it's like, we need to meet halfway. Right, right. In our, like we have to compromise. Right, exactly. Because we're at odds with each other. (laughs) Which, Which I,
1: I like for television writing a lot because it gives a lot of meaning in that one line. But I was thinking about that in real life. Would you even say that? You just if you said that to another person, it would be, they would just say like, "No, I'll just I'll just walk a few more steps to you." Yeah, yeah, what yeah. are you talking? What? Like what? No. <laughs>
0: I don't know. I mean, I can think of instances. You think so? Uh, but I, but yeah, I like no, there the definitely data. is a lot of substec, subtext. Subtext. Subtext behind it. Yeah, very,
1: exactly. Which um, I really liked, and they meet halfway,
0: and they start hashing it out. Yeah. Up. So, oh, I would just want to. Yeah, I just want to say like. As we said, as, I, as we were establishing it, it's uh, sort of like this shot where they're very far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, Maggie's pretty small in the frame. Uh, they do meet halfway. It's like this continuous shot and they kind of walk into um, like a medium style coverage, medium shot. Um, yeah, so Joel tells Maggie that he's decided not to sell the land to the mm-hmm. tribe. And then Maggie sort of crosses frame, which indicates like a shift, uh, not only in like the visual, because like now uh, they're facing new directions. So Joel is like looking at Maggie. Maggie's looking at him. She crosses him and their eye lines sort of invert. Like they're, Oh, wait, are you serious? Yeah, and that, that's typically like, uh, it's just a common thing that happens. You'll notice if you start watching blocking and in scenes and in, mm-hmm. in movies and TV, um, you know, you may have a lot of stuff happening in one scene in one location. Um, but whenever there's like a shift in sort of like, a shift in the scene, usually like a character will move or usually like uh, the camera will move so that- It's to indicate that their positions are changing? Well, the their positions changing physically indicates a shift in sort of like the the, the topic of the scene. You know? oh. So Joel tells her that he's not gonna sell the land. Maggie crosses. There's sort of this textual um, change in the scene as well as a visual change. Joel mm-hmm. sits down and Maggie's kind of standing. Um and, yeah, what, what else do they talk about in this scene?
1: Well, this scene actually really confused me because and maybe I'm just being a dope. But I wasn't entirely too sure why Maggie was truly upset. Because there's yeah. a pivotal scene where well, she says, like, I'm not actually upset about the land business. I'm actually upset because Sobey loved his wife. Yeah. And he saw her in me. Yeah. In me. In me, Joe. I, I didn't. Quite understand why she was so disappointed in
0: that. Do, do you know? Well, here's my, here's my read on it. Uh, yeah, that is a, that is good to bring up because we notice um, at the start of the scene, Maggie is like very sweaty. She's been ch- like chopping wood. She's mm-hmm. obviously got a lot on her mind, and this is sort of an outlet, as much as it is a, um, a necessity for her to chop wood because mm-hmm. it's cold. We're in Alaska. Yes. it <laughs> is. It is sort of an outlet for her to like let out all these like uh, these pent up emotions and. Um, As the scene plays out and as we get closer, because, you know, we start off kind of far away and as we get closer to them, we notice that she's not only like been sweating, she's kind of been crying. Uh, And as you said, she's upset about um, how Soapy saw uh, in her, he saw his wife. Well, my read, I guess, is like, she's still getting over Soapy in some way, as much as like, remember how we were talking about like when they find Soapy's body, uh, she doesn't seem to be Affected. super disturbed by it. Yeah. Maybe it's like all starting to come out now. Like the more she thinks about Soapy's life and his legacy, mm-hmm. and you know, she loved Soapy. They were close, but she realizes that he thought about her a lot more than she could have imagined. And I don't know. It's just for me. I just think it's like a part of the mourning. You know, like really? her her mourning his death. I can see. I can see what you're saying. Like maybe it's a little. It's a little hard to, to jump there, but uh, I don't know. If no, I had no, to think I, of them as like real characters, like people, get hit with emotions sometimes, you know. Yeah, which
1: is okay. That totally makes sense. What you're saying right there. Yeah. Just at the moment when I was watching it, I wasn't able. I didn't know if the scene was open to interpretation or like. Well, well do you have any interpretations? Not yet, or really, to be honest, because I rewatched it a couple of times just to try to, to try to piece together why she was trying. She, she was so upset, and in a way, I like that they wrote it this manner. Like, it wasn't very on-the-nose, very cookie-cutter yeah. revealing. Like, the reason she gave, like you said, is a very... Just trying to Something like you like real. would say in a very raw emotional state. Yeah.
0: Uh, if these were real characters. I really like that they went in that direction. Yeah, like, the scene doesn't it actually goes out of its way not to serve the plot, like mm-hmm. to not serve the plot. Cause like, yeah, as you said, she's not upset because of Joel's like, uh, land dealings. Yeah, <laughs> which is like, that's the purpose of this scene is yeah. for Joel to tell her that he's not going to sell the land, that he apologizes. But the reality of the situation is she's just like dealing with mourning, you know, like that's like, The scene goes out of its way not to play into plot, but to play more into the character. And, like, how would this character actually be feeling in this this moment? which is
1: really smart by the writers. I really enjoy that. And to top it off, in order to try to finish the morning, they dump the ashes out.
0: Oh, yeah. So this is, like, yeah. So uh, in in Soapy's will, uh, he wants his ashes to be scattered above, like, a bunch of
1: mountains or something. Yeah, the Alaskan Mountains.
0: So they have to get into Maggie's plane, and uh, Joel and Maggie have to do it together. That's how it was written in their will. And this is like a, mind you, this is like a pre-Big Lebowski. Uh, this is in 1990. Yes. And they like dump the out- ashes out of the window, but because they're flying uh, in the air really fast, the ashes are like sucked back into the cabin. <laughs> and basically they get it all, the ashes like fill the cabin and they get it all in their mouths and like that in was, their faces. That's probably really... Revolutionary when it was happening in 1990,
1: but like I called that from a mile away. I was like, Oh, the Ashes yeah. are gonna come back, this is well, gonna be a funny scene. Yeah, because it's but been that's been what happens in out. Big Lebowski that's exactly. Like the, that's the joke
0: in Big Lebowski, and
1: it's been played out a million times since yeah. after that one popularized it, a very solemn
0: moment, and then it's just like turned into laughs because
1: the The ashes comedically <laughs> somehow end up in people's mouths, mouths or other yeah. uh, body parts you don't want it to be in, but yeah, that's how she finishes the morning between theirs that they scatter his the ashes across the mountain, and then uh, I think the very last scene is Joel talking with Ed,
0: and I like yeah, this one. We're a lot. back in Joel's cabin, like I said, I love Joel's cabin. It's mm-hmm. very chill, it's very cozy, and um, well, you like the scene, but I'll just say like Joel is on his. His tangent and Ed is on his tangent. Like they're kind of talking And that's to themselves. Themselves. I like seconds. Yeah. Well, go ahead.
1: Yeah, that's why I like it because Ed is just, he's staring at the ceiling and he's talking about being Bergman in the North and he's yeah. saying that those documentary people really liked him. And yeah. Were, uh, what was the thing they said? They would credit him.
0: Yeah, they would give they would, him a credit. They would something. give him a
1: credit. And he really liked it. And he got he's, that
0: IMDb credit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's got that IMDb credit. And that's where it's, I think this is where they're planting the seed into Ed's mind. To yeah. be a filmmaker.
0: And uh, Joel is... Uh, they seem to be talking to each other, but they're not listening to each other because Joel is talking out loud about about Maggie, about sort Maggie, of. yeah. And uh, he's drinking a Budweiser. I know we talked about you couldn't see any labels is on the really beers. Is he really drinking a Budweiser? It looks like a Budweiser to me. I didn't catch that. Uh, I'll pull a clip of it if I can. Like, I'll pull a still. But uh, this is, like, at least the first that I can see, the first label of, like, a beer bottle. Um, but I am interested. Like, if when we watch the next episode and more, if you see any labels, cause I imagine some of these beers are, they may not be, you know, they
1: manufactured anymore yeah. or they could be like Alaskan uh, native.
0: That's what I want to know is like what are they what do the people actually drink in Alaska? The show was shot in Washington so there might be some Washington beers up there maybe that's why they're hiding the labels. Oh, that's a good reason. Because it's yeah. like we don't want a clue in the audience that we're not It's not Alaska. filmed in Alaska. Yeah.
1: Like, like that would actually blow
0: people's yeah. like immersions. <laughs> like
1: I can't believe it wasn't filmed on location. It was filmed in Vancouver. What? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hey, uh, Van- yeah, Vancouver would have made sense, but well, X-Files every- was shot in Vancouver. I was believe. it really? Mm-hmm. A lot of it, at least like the first like four seasons or something.
1: I think if there's like a trivia question they ask you where like something was filmed,
0: Vancouver, yeah, if you put Vancouver down,
1: you have like one out of three chance of getting Vancouver, it right.
0: Vancouver, New York, LA, is that what you're saying?
1: Uh, mo- no, just mostly just Vancouver oh, for okay. some reason. I don't know why. I think it's maybe like tax credits or something like that, or it just know. has enough variety in land. But, uh, but I think you're right on uh, California in the very least. California is a popular film location from what I understand. Yeah. But yeah, that's how the episode ends. It's just um, him talking about how the next time he's going to open up a bottle of red wine, he's going to be thinking about this woman who got angry for kissing him on the cheek.
0: Yeah. Um, he mentioned something about neurology. Uh, oh, I like that it's like long, neurology. Long. Those guys are lunatics. Yeah. That, uh,
1: he also says, like, the only sheaf I'll be dealing with is the sheaf of neurology or yeah. the sheaf of uh, ophthalmology. Uh, uh,
0: obstetrics or something? I can never pronounce them. Obstetrics or <laughs> ophthalmology?
1: Op- is there even a sheaf of obstetrics? Obstric- I can't. I don't know. We have to edit know. that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but I like, yeah, I like that he's, like, making fun of neurology because there's so many different fields of medicine. Uh, I have a couple of friends who are med students right now, and um, I mean, these are definitely like generalizations, but I'm guess there are like there are cliques of like different. You know, there's like the there's the different schools of medicine, and each. Each school yeah. has its own sort of like stereotype. From what I understand, the surgeons are the jocks. Like the rock stars, like the jocks.
1: Yeah, they're like the jocks. They're very, they have a God complex. They think they can do everything. I know it sounds like I'm ripping off of scrubs, but apparently it's real. Like from what I can tell from yeah. the, my uh, the various friends that we have in medical school, yeah. they all say the same thing. They're like, yeah, yeah. like- uh, do they,
0: What do they say about neurology? Because that's what I, I was trying to think about that. Because Joel views them as lunatics, that's a have really, we'll yeah. have to ask him. That's a really good question, right there.
1: Uh, but yeah, I do like that joke that he uses. He's like, "Oh, it's like the only sheep I'll be doing with the chief of neurology. I won't be doing it with any other, like not like an actual Indian chief or anything like that." Yeah,
0: Chief Ron Conkamo. <laughs> How do you say his name? Ron-Kan-Kemo? Ron Conkamo. I think it's I think it's Ron Conkoma. I because I you know we, we have subtitles now, so I looked up subtitles It's spelled Ron Conkoma, but I always hear it as Ron Conkamo. Sounds like an Indian chief's yeah. name. That's a good gonna, name. I like I, it. it. Rolls off the <laughs> um, But yeah, so we're in the third episode, Charles, and you haven't given up yet. What are you? What are your thoughts? Like um, seriously, what are your? What are you? What's your least favorite part of this episode? Like, my least favorite part of this
1: episode. Um, I think that I think this is very typical of '90s shows. So I don't think this is actually an insult to. Northern exposure as a whole. But there might be some lines that are actually really important, but they treat it like a throwaway line. Like okay. an actor will turn around and he'll say a line and he'll go back, to, he'll, he'll turn back around. And as an audience member, we're, I guess, we're just spoiled now. Like we're expected for important lines to, to be pointed, be, pointed like, out to us. To be yeah. pointed out to us. But like sometimes, I think it happened a lot with Soapy actually. Soapy would say something actually very important to the plot line uh-huh. and he said it in, as an aside. And I had to have actually paid attention in order to catch it, but...
0: I guess we had like, you know, Americans had a better attention span uh, in the 90s. No, I yeah. think it's true though. I mean, no, it definitely the show is. definitely, like you mentioned, it feels a little slower than some of like the cho- the um, quicker, quippier dialogue of uh, shows today and, and of some of the, like the more faster moving shows of the late 90s.
1: Right. But so. that's kind
0: of one of the draws for me is like how... The nice pace of it. I think I'm
1: starting to get into that type of pace. Like, I I definitely am a fan of very quick, quippy shows. Gilmore Girls, West Wing, of course, are the major culprits on those two type things. Yeah, Uh, Aaron Sorkin and Amy Sherman-Palladino. But this one moves kind of in the opposite direction. Obviously, there's a lot of depth uh, behind... Their words, yeah. but I'm not saying that them at a million miles for an hour. There isn't a lot of pop culture references. Yeah, and I'm starting to really get into it. Kind of uh, like get, I think we, I've talked about this before, like reveling in the silence.
0: Yeah, reveling in that kind of slow. You get a moment to think about what you're what you're watching.
1: Yeah, those they, are. I'm sorry, I will cut you off. What'd no, you say?
0: They, there are moments uh, when we get some of that quippy, snappy back and we forth. Do. Like we get that with the Joel and the Maggie, sort of like arguing. It's pretty. It's good. You know, it's like you can tell that. Whoever's writing it is just trying to like punch out as many words as they can, like fill a block of text. But it is, yeah, it is a lot of speech really quickly. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it gives you that yeah. moment, of, that moment of uh, introspection,
1: right? So I'm trying to get used to that. So I can't say that that's the reason why I dislike the show. I think that's just the nature of how. Uh, 1990s television shows yeah. were being written or just how oh, this television show is being written. And I, I'm trying to think of other things I didn't like. Uh, to be honest, I really like this episode. I like yeah. them more, possibly more than episode two. Like it more than oh, the well, pilot. Yeah. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I think uh, two and three are definitely... Um, when I've gone back and watched the show, sometimes I like pick out and skip some episodes. Uh, mm-hmm. Two and three are definitely some of my favorites. Your uh, must-watches? Yeah, well... Um, I think we'll at the end of the season, I think we, we'll be able to look back at it and and kind of, I think the show evolves a lot in the first season. Like when we jump into the season two, it, it has its own. It has everything figured out, I think Season two is great. Season two's of television shows
1: are traditionally oh, so good. yeah, oh, they're so good. But, every uh, single one.
0: Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so we'll we'll kind of look back at it after um, after the end of the season. But I will check in with you at the end of every episode, just kind of. Like, please. Yeah, because I, I want to know, like,
1: seriously, if there's. I'm waiting for the episode in like, which what? I get to tell you it's complete garbage. <laughs> 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 but yeah, please come back at the end of every episode
0: and uh, ask me on that. Yeah. Well, uh, another thing that we've been starting to do is, uh, as I said, we've we're trying to expand the reach of the show. So I've got another one of my friends who has never seen the show before, hasn't seen episode one or two or anything else. He's only watched episode three. His name's Matthew. Matt, I'm not sure how he wants to be credited, but he's got a little insight for us. So let's see what he thought of episode three, Soapy Sanderson.
2: Okay. Matthew Martinez here. This is the deal about Northern Exposure. Never seen it before. Watched episode three for the first time. And uh, the second I heard that theme song, Saw that giant moose I was sold So I realized immediately I'd, I'd watch it uh, Again Now then the show started And I started thinking Well this is hokey That's pretty funny It's hokey Okay I can get along with this And then I started feeling like Is this gonna get creepy Is this a scary thing What's going on here Everybody's cute you know the old man's cute, the lady's cute, the guy's cute, flan again and whatnot. Uh, so I like that. And then the uh, the film crew shows up in episode three, and that was really fun. And then I, I kind of had waves of, you know, all right, this is is this a is this a drama? Is it a comedy? Is it a is it going to get scary? I kept thinking somebody was going to kill somebody or. I don't know why I had a feeling it was gonna get uh it was gonna get eerie. It had an eerie vibe to it, which also intrigued me and then you know by the time we get to the the end of the episode and I realize okay, we got the guy, we got the girl. why hasn't this girl told this guy you know f off get out of here yet? so if there's anything that's gonna bring me back, keep me watching northern exposure. Uh, it's the moose. The soundtrack is unbeatable. Um, and then I got to find out what happens between old Flanagan and Miss, uh, Miss Alaska. I can't remember anyone's names. So I give it an A plus five star rating with a, uh, varying B minus, um, undercurrent. Now I just had a glass of wine. So if that didn't make sense, I apologize. Adios. All right,
0: so that was Matt. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, he told me he um, he had to watch it in three sittings. He has, <laughs> he's got a family. He's got a son. And he, he was on vacation. But he did watch the entire episode, uh, albeit he watched it in, in three chapters, I guess. So I don't blame him for, <laughs> for just making up names. Uh, Flanagan, <laughs> I assume, is Fleischman. Uh, yeah, I think that's what he meant. And Miss Alaska, I love that for Maggie. She kind of is sort of like That's, a poster poster girl for, uh, you know, like a, a reinvented uh, woman who lives in Alaska.
1: Yeah, she repre- She is the epitome of Alaska.
0: hmm
1: uh, for a second when he said, "What was that, Flanagan?" Was Flanagan. He, yeah. Yeah, I thought he was talking about uh, two things. One, I was like, did he just mix up the word flannel? Because yeah. they not a lot of flannel on the show. <laughs> and number two, is it like. Flanders from like the Simpsons. Ned Flanders. Ned that, Flanders. Yeah. yeah. I was like, is he, is he talking about him?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are you watching the right show, man? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, one thing that Matt brings up that I thought is actually a really good point. Um, he was talking about early on in his reviews talking about, um, sort of like the hokiness, the comedy. Uh, he didn't really know what he was expecting. Cause he's just jumping in into the third episode. It's like, is this a drama? Is this a comedy? And let me ask that to you. Charles, you've seen 3 episodes so far. What is this a comedy? Is this a drama? Uh is de- it a horror? Cuz defin- he had some horror <laughs> undercurrents in this episode. Apparently. I don't blame him for within the like suicide, I guess the the death. There was yes. a death in this episode. The kind of the first violent episode I guess.
1: Yeah, definitely. I can see if this was his first episode, he might imagine that it's a it's got tones of horror, but <laughs> I would say that it's actually both a comedy and a drama, though if it, – does
0: it, does it lean one way or the other more? definitely
1: or? leans toward a drama more, though my instinct is that if you had to submit this to the Emmys yeah. for a category, it would probably be under comedy yeah, and I, not straight drama.
0: Actually, one of my – I don't have the quote in front of me, but one of my favorite quotes from the show's creators um, – It was when they received, like, their, They think they received two Peabody Awards for outstanding work in a comedy series or something. Uh, And when they received the award, they were, like, extremely grateful, but they were also like, uh, we consider this more of a a drama than a comedy. It's it's an honor to win this, um, but we always thought it was a drama when we were writing it.
1: Well, the Peabody is for serious issues, I thought. I think, I guess so. Yeah, do you know anything about the Peabody Awards? Um, I know it's given to journalists most okay. often yeah. for the Peabodys, um, but mm-hmm. I, it can be given to writers often. Yeah. Um,
0: I think the I think the show definitely has a mindset for drama. Having said that, uh, you know, rewatching it again this time, uh, it's it can get hokey. It can get very comedic. You know, it's a it's a funny. I love that word. It definitely plays for hokey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's well, a good. That's that's a good term, uh, Matt kind of like intro we haven't been describing the show necessarily but as hokey but definitely fits sometimes you know
1: it really does or maybe that's just how 1990s shows are all
0: of them are just really hokey we kind of see them as hokey now like in the 90s do you think they would have been hokey no no
1: i really don't think so it's i think in the 90s today. they would have just thought like that's just a regular television show
0: mm. um yeah lots of people always bring up the moose yeah we still haven't seen the moose no so uh, i mean we've seen a we've seen a a uh, taxidermied moose in the brick. When are we gonna get the moose? I mean, Matt says he'll come back. He's he's waiting on the moose. He's waiting on the. Uh, I guess he was also gripped by Fleischman and Maggie's kind of dynamic, which you know is the sort of the key central, the central sort of plot of a lot of episodes is Joel Fleischman and Maggie O'Connell.
1: Yeah, the will they won't they?
0: Yeah. Thing. Um, classic. Class, classic gosh. love subplot. Or a primary plot, I guess.
1: I think that was, the, yeah, it's the A-plot. I, I would of this des- episode, would, yeah. Yeah, I would designate that as the A-plot. If anything, the Sophie Sanderson was the mechanism that just brought them. Uh, Trying to bring them
0: together. Yeah. saw to saw that
1: romance. His suicide brought them together. That's a
0: terrible thing to say. Uh. <laughs> um, well, yeah. I mean, I, I like Matt's commentary. I think I've, I. he's like one of the first people to come to mind just because it's, I could listen to Matt talk about anything, and as you as hey. you just heard, he's just sitting there for two minutes, just kind of talking about nothing, talking about everything, and he's just an interesting guy to listen to. I he guess.
1: really sounds like Matthew McConaughey. Oh yeah, yeah. Really? The first, <laughs> yeah, the first uh, couple. Of, it was the first time You're me like, hearing I mean, the commentary. Matt,
0: Matt McConaughey on the, yeah. on the podcast.
1: You, <laughs> you have connections to him. <laughs> oh. But no, I like this commentary as well. And uh, this is early on that we're doing this, where we're introducing new people to the episode. Yeah, but. I think it's actually a really interesting concept because everyone's got their own take on it, but Mm -hmm. uh, I would have never considered that this could be anything but... A uh a drama show with comedy sprinkled in. I would not So you're
0: have... not suspecting the horror?
1: <laughs> no. So it's really interesting for a person that we just like a science experiment, we just put him yeah. into this field. I in can't the wait nowhere. to see
0: like what will happen when we get a guest on in like the third season of the never seen yes. any you know, they've never seen it, a single episode. And just like, what is happening? Well, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully the episodes will be so self-contained that uh, you could just come in at any point. And yeah. Kind of get the,
1: they mostly are the early seasons. Yeah. For any television show, they are, but particularly for Northern Exposure, I think they're pretty self-contained. I think you can kind of get the characterizations.
0: Yeah. Of I feel like people. there is a little bit of, um, in each episode, while still being self-contained, there's a little bit of history that they throw in, exposition every once in a while, just to get you up to speed um, about what's going on. It's like, in case you missed it, you know, this is sort of the dynamic between these two characters. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. That's episode three. Soapy Sanderson. Do you have any final comments? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, um, Charles. Thanks again for sticking around. I hope to see you again on episode four. Um, and, <laughs> no, I'm uh, just gonna leave. No, please don't. <laughs> so far, so good, right? It's. I guess so. This is episode three. Any strikes? Like, is this a? Is this a three? Three for three? Yeah. Let's Fa- go for three. Favorite for three. episode
1: out of the three? Definitely. Uh, you know, now that I think about it, it might actually be of the three. Maybe not.
0: No? Yeah. Did you say this? I can't remember. We're recording this. Again, we always record these later because we haven't synced up our schedule with our guests yet. So yeah, so um, it's I been, can't remember. Did you say this was like one of your favorites or your least favorite? Or
1: I rewatched it a couple of days ago uh-huh. and I, I liked it. Yeah. But that scares me because I think I might have said I didn't like it <laughs>
0: in the beginning. So <laughs> I'm a little bit afraid. Okay. Well, um, well, anyway, this will all we'll we'll do a review at the end of the season. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. That's true. Episode three in the books. Thanks, Charles, and I'll see you next episode.
1: Yeah, I'll uh, see you next episode, Lee.
0: Northern Overexposure podcast is edited by me. Our theme song was remixed by Matt Jackson. Thanks to Laser Kitties for the podcast artwork, and thanks to Matt for watching the show and being our guest analyst. Matt told me his favorite scary movie is either Gore Verbinski's The Ring or Follow That Bird, the 1985 Sesame Street feature presentation. And of course, thank you for listening.
2: do not care about people's feelings. All you care about is you and New York and your precious career. Look, Mother Teresa, I
0: did not get off the plane and say that I am Marcus Welby, kindly physician and all around swell guy, okay? I was fully prepared to do my time in Anchorage, but I am contractually manacled to this tundra
2: under false pretenses and against my will. So if I resort to some unscrupulous practices to right a greater wrong, look, Where's Amnesty International when it comes to Joel Fleichman? So you're an amoral cretin and you admit it up front. Well, let me tell you something, Buster. That does not excuse you.